We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, we are recording on Wednesday afternoon, December 21st. We got a big uh, Wednesday night slate coming at us as usual. Uh, a little bit of a weird schedule the rest of the week, Alex. Two games on Thursday. Uh, I assume the NBA doesn't want to compete with Jaguars Jets uh, Thursday night football. Right. Uh, pretty, pretty sizable slate on Friday, but I think every team or virtually every team is in action. No games at all on Christmas Eve. And then we have our usual five game slate on Christmas day. So uh, we'll, we'll preview the Christmas day slate, you know, some injuries, uh, certainly uh, dimin- diminishing a few of those matchups. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk some, some general news, some fantasy takeaways as we near uh, already the halfway point in the fantasy season. But uh, I want to start out in California. I mean, this isn't really breaking news at this point. It's been almost a week, but both Anthony Davis, Stephen Curry remain out. Uh, we don't, have a ton of clarity, Alex, on exactly what's going on with, with Anthony Davis. Uh, you kind of see the highlight of him appearing to somehow injure his ankle or foot in midair. Uh, I, the first ever like midair ankle sprain, but if anybody could do it, it's Anthony Davis. Um, I mean, even on our site, you know, our latest note is that, you know, the nature of the injury is still vague. Uh, so we're really not sure what to expect from Anthony Davis with Curry. Uh, you know, we have a little more, um, a little more of a, a real timetable, you know, likely going to be out around a month won't need surgery on that shoulder but look as we saw last night against the Knicks I mean they end up losing that game by 38 at MSG Warriors have a tough back-to-back now uh tonight that they they're like 12 and a half point dogs at Brooklyn they're going to struggle to win any game like there there are not going to be any gimmies for the next month with Golden State and this was even the case for the Lakers before Davis got hurt but you could say the same thing about LA I mean they're the, the way that the NBA set up it's like you take away Curry from the Warriors, you take away Davis from the Lakers, these teams can lose to anybody on any night. Yeah, and it was really bad timing too. Dante DiVincenzo, uh, I think it was, it's an illness that's keeping him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we haven't even really, they've been w- without DiVincenzo too, who I'm sure everybody picked up off the waiver wire in anticipation of, you know, Curry obviously missing uh, probably a month. 
and you don't even really get the benefit of DiVincenzo playing if you picked him up. But, you know, that adds to the addition of Curry being out. I know Thompson, uh, Clay is out for this upcoming uh, game they have tonight against Brooklyn. And they're just, they just don't have the guys, man. I mean, Draymond is is sort of doing his best to keep this team together, but there's really only so much he can do when he doesn't have um, Curry around. And, you know, again, when defenses are able to focus so much more in on Clay and Poole, those guys are, are way less effective. I mean, both of those guys um, are pretty benefited from Curry being around and, and distracting the defense. And just without those guys, and even, you know, you take away DiVincenzo as well, the team just, it's it's a horrible team. It's a horrible team without those guys. Yeah, Draymond Green uh, really put the team on his back last night in New York, seven points, uh, three of five shooting. Uh, did have six <laughs> assists, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's he's the type of player that I think is a great finishing piece when you have fantastic guys around him, as has been the case for virtually his entire career in Golden State. But you can't you can't take away Steph Curry and say, all right, Draymond, you got to carry us for the next right. month here. It's just, it's not realistic. And, and you know, fantasy-wise, I think the guy who's going to continue to benefit most by far is Jordan Poole, who at 26 points through three quarters last night, barely even played in the fourth. Uh, even going back to before Steph Curry went down, I mean, just Poole's last 10 games, he's at 27 points per game, 47% from the field. He's taking almost 10 threes per game, taking almost 20 shots per game. So I think there's going to be a pretty long runway here where Jordan Poole is going to be giving you elevated production. I think you could potentially, maybe in a week or two, you look at selling high on Jordan Poole with the expectation that he may be, like he could legitimately lose 10 points per game once Curry comes back. Like that's how stark of a difference it's been. One, I think we'll see how it goes, but at least in the short term here, mildly disappointing outcome is like is clay thompson the type of guy is he he's not really like draymond obviously he's a, a much more advanced offensive player but is he to the point in his career where you take curry away and you you really can't expect clay thompson to shoulder that much more of a burden i i think that's a pretty strong possibility i do i think he him and curry play off of each other really well sort of like i was saying earlier and i i just don't think without curry around it's you can try to get Thompson more looks, but he is not going to like, he can catch and he can pump fake and he can drive like Curry does, but nobody's really scared of the clay Thompson drive. A lot of times it would just result in sort of a long two. Um, you know, he's not, he's not some force at the rim. He, he's barely a force at the rim when he was in his prime. And now it's just not really a question. He's not a gifted passer or anything like that. So I think it is, it is pretty tough for him. And I don't, you know, if I, I and I do have Clay on a good chunk of fantasy rosters, I just I don't really expect more production from him at all. Yeah, I he's a unique player. Obviously, he's a you know an All NBA caliber player when healthy, at least in his prime. But he's at the end of the day, you know, more often than not, he's a spot up shooter, especially at this point. So yeah, I, I think if anything, it's like he's he's the type of player who gets hurt from the lack of gravity uh, that's now out there with no Stephen Curry. And uh, again, I think Jordan Poole is the guy who is more than happy. Uh, to step in and, and you know, double his uh, field goal attempts per night with no Curry. Uh, Chris Middleton out in Milwaukee, uh, unlikely to play tonight against the Cavaliers. That's a b pretty big game in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this will be, uh, you know, again, in all likelihood, three straight absences for Chris Middleton. He, of course, missed the first month and a half of the season recovering from wrist surgery, but uh, it's been a sore knee that will uh, continue to sideline Middleton. And 
uh, at this point, I think it is fair to wonder if he's going to be out there uh, not only Friday at Brooklyn, but Sunday at Boston on Christmas Day. Yeah, it would be. I think I think the Bucks would be very happy if he was out there for Christmas. Um, yeah, it's really tough to say. Like the severity, who knows? Like maybe it's it's sort of just he, he the ramp up period was a little fast, or you know, all the time off he took. It could just be a, like a a normal sore knee, so to speak. But the Bucks without Middleton, I mean, they they were fine during the the early portion of the year. Obviously, they got off to a, a pretty good start, but I think. And and getting Joe Ingles back is huge too. Actually, I mean he can sort of fill in. He's not the same player as Middleton, but he's a three point shooter, and I think he'll end up needing to. Uh, he obviously Ingles needs some time to sort of integrate into the team, but it's a tough blow for Milwaukee. They just they really have not been healthy the, almost the entire season. No, they haven't, and they're in that small basket of teams where it doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, I think, you know, they're, they're not the type of team, especially with how much continuity they've had over the last couple of years where you don't, you don't really need to see them, you know, play three straight months with, with their entire core intact They're They've earned the benefit of the doubt. And as long as Giannis holiday and Middleton are healthy in the playoffs, I think they're going to be just fine. But uh, you know, to me, I, I think you, the biggest concern here is will Chris Middleton be healthy over the rest of the season. And, and obviously you're looking forward to may, and June and you know, the, the risk seems to be in the, in the past, but nagging knee soreness for, you know, a guy who's you know kind of nearing the end of his prime years, not ideal. And, you know, I mean, there, there were some people on Bucks Twitter talking like, you know, would, would they flip Chris Middleton in a Bradley Beal trade? I, I, I don't hate the idea of just having that discussion, but I just, I don't see Milwaukee being that type of team. And look, it, the only way I think that they would trade Chris Middleton is if they had real concerns about his knee. And if that's the case, other teams are going to know that, and you're not going to be able to get a Bradley Beal-like return if you're flipping Middleton. So to, to me, that's kind of a non-discussion. I agree. I, I, you know, more like meta discussion. I don't know if the Bucks ownership wants to pay the tax, the luxury tax anymore after winning the title. I think a lot of teams sort of get into that mode. And if you acquired Bradley Beal, you would, I think you would pretty much be in the luxury tax for the foreseeable future. Uh, yes. And I don't, I, <laughs> I don't think they want to do that. But I, uh, to me, Middleton is one of those guys who, you know, I think Bucks ownership and the and and management is pretty content with keeping this roster the same for as long as possible because, you know, I'm obviously I'm I'm biased because I'm I'm from we're from Wisconsin, but everybody loves this team. Like everybody, all like fans love this team. They love everybody on this team from top to bottom. And I think management ownership, I think they really don't want to change that in any way, especially if they can keep the team the same and stay under the luxury tax and be in title contention the entire time. I think they just want to let this ride out for as long as possible. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, it would be just a, a dramatic move. Uh, I think to, to, to shake up a core like that when you don't really have to, I don't think there's, you know, right. uh, Chris Middleton missing maybe three games in the middle of December. is probably not sound the alarm territory at this point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, a team that is, however, uh, potentially reaching that point is the Chicago Bulls. And it's it's getting messy in Chicago. I think we we kind of started to see the signs of this at the end of last season. You know, Chicago got off to that great start and just kind of gradually fizzled out and ends up losing in uh, you know pretty embarrassing fashion, I think, in round one uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. They are now 12 and 18. They are currently sitting in 11th place. In the Eastern Conference, they they would be lower if it weren't for the Washington Wizards just losing every single night. Uh, that although they did win in Phoenix last night, we should say that. What's the deal with Chicago? I mean, that there's reports coming out earlier this week that Levine and DeRozan aren't getting along. That they, basically that the team just like ganged up on Zach Levine and uh, told him <laughs> that he's not playing defense at halftime of a game where they gave up 150 points to the Timberwolves last week. Uh, you know, I, I think anybody who's who's followed the league for the last couple of years, it's not shocking that Chicago is in this position, but given the age of their assets, given the the degradation to guys like Lazo Ball and, and even Zach Levine, who has not looked like himself this year, I think Nikola Vucevic is a significantly worse asset now than when they traded for him midway through last season. Like, I, what is their path out? I don't know. I So I don't think they're quite as bad as their record says. I still think they're not a good team. The Lonzo Ball aspect of this, I think, gets... It gets swept under the rug a little bit because how much can we talk about a guy who just does is not playing? But he was such a he was going to be such a integral part of their game plan because he was this like this team is not built for defense. They just had some guy they had like a couple guys who could do it. Like Patrick Williams was was supposed to be their defensive stopper on the wing, and then Ball was supposed to be their defensive stopper at guard, and then they were sort of just going to assume that Vucevic was going to be fine at center. But without ball there, I think some of that uh, gets destroyed. And I think they sort of lack a true point guard, which um, is sort of its own issue. I mean, DeRozan does fine and Caruso can pass a little bit, but um, missing him's a big deal. But you're right. I don't know where you go from here. You're sort of locked into this team and this <laughs> this Lonzo Ball thing. I forget whose podcast it was. On. I think it was Zach Lowe was saying it sounds like we get we're getting updates from like a like a nursing home. Like, oh, like Lonzo Ball yeah. was able to go up the stairs today. <laughs> um, it's really tough. And, you know, a lot of these guys, like, it's it's a situation where it reminds me a little bit of the Knicks, where you look at their on-off court numbers and the bench, all the bench guys are leading the team in on-off court. Like, Levine is minus six, Patrick Williams minus nine, Vucevic minus two. And then you look at the other way, it's like Caruso, who's in the starting lineup now, plus 10. Javante Green plus 10, Dragic plus six. So they sort of have to figure out, um, I think, some better lineup combos. But as a whole, even if you get Lonzo back, what's the ceiling? You know, frisky, maybe make the conference finals yeah. if things break your way. I don't know. I, and I don't right. even really believe that. But that's probably what they hope, right? What, what does things breaking your way mean in that scenario? It's like Giannis uh, gets hurt. The entire yes. Celtics team disbands. <laughs> Uh, the Cavs disband, the Nets move to the Western <laughs> Conference. I mean, like, how many dominoes would have to fall yeah. for the Chicago Bulls to end up in the East Finals? 
Yeah, part of it too is every other team, not every other team, but most other teams around them got good, right? The East sort of lapped them in a way. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's it's a situation that we've seen with a handful of teams over the years where like if you put together the equivalent of this team in 2015, maybe that you might be the second or third best team in the East, but with how much talent there is in the league right now, uh, with teams like Milwaukee at Boston, um, I, I'm not ready to put Cleveland on that level, but I mean, Cleveland is significantly better than Chicago at this point. Like the, I, I think if you're the bulls, it's just, it's exactly like not that long ago was in the like top 15 to 20 player in the league discussion. And like, that's just, that's just not even a, a conversation anymore. I mean, I, I don't know where Vucevic ranks. It's like, everybody loves DeRozan, but I, I think he's a difficult player to build a team around. And I, I think Chicago is finding that even though the numbers look good, uh, you know, he could be a tough player to win with. Um, and, and, you know, fantasy wise, DeRozan ranks 37th in eight cat per game. That's fine. Vucevic 41st. That's kind of around where he typically is. Zach Levine, 62, 62 overall. I mean, under 22 points per game. The field goal percentage is fine. 44 and a half percent. Um, but it, it just, it feels like he's taking a pretty meaningful step back. The, I don't, th- I don't think this necessarily says anything, but he interestingly does not have a single block this season yet. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, his, uh, his three point shooting has declined. This is the third year it's declining, or I guess second straight year it's declining. Um, 2020-21, he shot 42. Last year, 39. This year, 36. And we we talk about uh, the, his knee problems, which at the start of the year, he was basically getting load managed, which was not good. And he's also someone, too, like not only is his three-point percentage down, he's taking fewer free throws um, than he ever has, uh, unless you go back to his final year in Minnesota. So he's just not as aggressive offensively as he has been in the past, especially getting to the rim. And you mentioned his defensive effort isn't that good. I understand why people were high on him. I was a relatively high on him. He was a, he was a super efficient scorer. Um, he was like 50, 40, 85 in, in, uh, two years ago. But when the defense starts to slip and you start to become a little less aggressive, it's just there. he didn't have like necessarily a ton of room to get much worse. And you're sort of seeing the, the response of his teammates and the team as a whole when he sort of takes a step back. The Rotowire NBA pod is brought to you by Pickett. Pickett is a social bet tracking app that takes all the hassle out of tracking your bets and your betting performance over time. Pickett connects to all of the major U.S. sports books like DraftKings and FanDuel and others, uh, as well as all the major DFS pick'em providers such as Prize Picks, Underdog Fantasy, and Thrive. Once you hook up all your sports books, Pickett does the heavy lifting from there to slice and dice your betting data. You'll get detailed historical PL, you'll get graphs, unique breakdowns by team, sport, player, bet type, etc. Uh, you get the gist. You can also line shop for the best odds across your link sportsbooks to make sure that whatever you're betting, you are getting the most bang for your buck. When your bets are live, you could track the scores and stats of all the games you bet on, as well as get player prop updates from most major player prop markets. That means no more switching between your sportsbook app and different score apps. Uh, I, I usually use ESPN, so if I, you know, if I if I have Prize Picks going or you know a DraftKings lineup, I'm, I'm always shuffling between apps, closing one out, not realizing that I closed it out. Uh, so getting all those notifications in one spot via the Picket app is huge. I actually love that idea. I think that's my favorite feature about this app. Again, no more opening, reopening 
closing NBA box scores every five minutes. It's all right there in the Picket app. By far, the differ- biggest differentiator, however, is that Picket syncs your betting history and all your bets from all legal major sports books. So there is no manual entry required to track your bets. Again, no manual entry. It links directly to the sports books. You don't have to you know, double type everything down and keep it like a little notebook. It automatically logs everything for you. Once you have those accounts linked, it's pretty much effortless from there. The social feed, the community is what turns Picket from just a bet tracking app to a home for betting. When you can learn from others, you can tail people, you can go against people, you can see what others are doing. You can find verified content to inform your betting decisions. Visit picket.com, that's P-I-K-K-I-T.com to download the Picket app today. Again, that's Picket, P-I-K-K-I-T. So I want to hit on just a, a few yeah, slightly more positive situations. You know, young players who are, are are starting to turn it on a little bit. And I want to start with Jalen Duran in Detroit, who has now started six games in a row. He has double doubles in three of those games. Uh, he has double digit rebounds in in all six, but scoring has has come and gone a little bit. Uh, he did burn me last night, Alex. I went over uh, one half assist for Jalen Duran, and despite playing thirty minutes, he went full Hassan Whiteside <laughs> and did not. Uh, pass the ball whatsoever, but uh, I, you know, I, I still do wonder, you know, like what, what is the ultimate upside? Like, is he going to be just a points rebounds guy who who adds blocks? Like the shot blocking hasn't really been there to the degree that you'd think it would um, like every now and then he'll have like a two, three block game, but he'll also sprinkle in three or four games in a row where he's not blocking any shots. Uh, kind of the same with steals. You know, like he had three steals against Brooklyn the other night. He's had zero steals in his other three games in a four game stretch. Uh, but but overall, what are you seeing from Duran and, and fantasy wise? Can we expect him to play twenty eight to thirty two minutes a night going forward as long as he's healthy? I I think we can expect that from him. Yeah, I mean, their other options just aren't good. Like I, I the concern was that they would just play Marvin Bagley too much because they signed Bagley to give Bagley thirty million dollars, but Bagley's back to playing like eighteen minutes a night. Um, Isaiah Stewart it feels pretty locked into like 27 minutes a game at this point can play is basically playing power forward for them is shooting threes and is doing fine there. Um, Shannon sort of likes to joke that Isaiah Stewart doesn't really have a position, but that he is currently playing power forward, which I think is fair. Um, yeah. Duran, I, I do think maybe he is just a rebounds guy and that's okay because he's ninth in total rebound percentage this year, sixth in offensive rebound percentage. And those guys like, even if he just basically turns out to be Steven Adams um, with more athleticism, like that's still a really useful real life player. still a really useful fantasy player. And I think next year, you know, when Cade Cunningham comes back, it's only going to make Duran more effective because Killian Hayes is actually passing is one of his strongest strengths, but he's not putting enough pressure on the rim or anything to get Duran super free for these alley-oop dunks. So I think we'll continue to see Duran develop in a really positive way next year when, when Cade comes back. In that same vein, Walker Kessler out in Utah, uh, starting to see more minutes of late as well. Utah's had a few injuries. Um, yeah, Kelly Olenek has been banged up. So I think that's kind of been the, uh, the main impetus for Walker Kessler uh, who started the last two games. But I, you know, he was one of those guys that we were very closely monitoring after the draft, he initially, of course, was going to Minnesota and then goes to Utah as part of the Go Bear deal. And 
you know, early on, he he played a bunch of minutes, like the first three games of the year, and then you know went through a basically month long stretch where he just wasn't wasn't really fantasy viable unless you were absolutely chasing blocks, um, you know, mostly in deeper leagues. But uh, dating back now to like, the, the final days of November, like his last eleven games, ten points, eight rebounds, two and a half blocks, almost eighty percent from the field. Um, you know, he he was a guy who. It kind of showed flashes of, of potentially shooting the three in college. He has not attempted a single three this season. I think for fantasy, that is ideal. You, you don't want guys yeah. like that, you know, launching up threes and rooting their field goal percentage. The free throw percentage is, is a little shaky. It's actually very shaky. It's at 54%, but he's taking basically one and a half per game. So that doesn't really kill you. Um, I, I, if you had to choose between Kessler and Duran for rest of season, who are you taking? Uh, Kessler. It's not, it's not really close to me. I think there's a chance that he plays fewer minutes per game than than Duran, but the the blocks upside with Kessler, like blocks are the scarcer stat, right? Like you can sort of go to the waiver wire and just find a guy who might get you, I don't want to say find a guy that will get you 40 rebounds in a week, you know, if they're on a four-game week, but it's just a tougher stat to get, blocks are. And Kessler is third in the NBA right now in total blocks, despite playing 17.7 minutes per game, which that was his thing in college. Um, that's why he was he was drafted relatively high. And, you know, there is always the possibility of the Jazz delving further into a tank, which would give more minutes to Kessler. Again, even if it doesn't happen, Kessler still ranks 160th fantasy per game. He's 44th per 36 minutes in fantasy. And... I think there's only upside for Kessler while I think Duran's upside for this season, at least in terms of minutes is just completely capped. So to me, it's like, if you're in a 14 team league, I would do, I would make sure that Kessler is rostered. I understand not everyone's going to have a spot for him, but I think his upside is too, is too high for the rest of the season to not have him on a roster in a 14 or a 16 team league. Uh, Shannon McEwen just messaged me on Slack and he, he wants me to mention that Jalen Duren's the youngest player in the league, uh, which makes what he's doing all the more impressive. Yes. So I uh, just need to deliver that message. Uh, that is factual. <laughs> I, I I'm with you. I think in, in real life, I, I think I like Duren more like just the, the athleticism is so wild and he's so young that I, I think developmentally there's, there's a lot to dream on, but yeah, fantasy wise, I will take the two and a half to potentially three blocks per game. You know, if Walker Kessler starts playing 30 minutes a night, going forward. I mean, he was blocking almost five shots a game in college. So it's not like this is coming out of nowhere, but yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take some diminished returns uh, as far as points and rebounds uh, to get those blocks because, you know, again, with Duran, there's going to be nights where I, I think his, his night to night ceiling is higher. Like he could have, he could have a 2020 game with four blocks later in the year. If he plays enough minutes, like that is conceivable, but I, I think on the whole, you know, there's, there's going to be too many duds mixed in there. Whereas Kessler, like you said, he's, he's already in a good spot now, but I think Duran, like, there's going to be some roster movement with Detroit, but it's probably guys like Bogdanovich. Like, he's kind of locked into what he's doing now. Whereas, like you said, if Kelly Olynyk gets moved, all of a sudden Walker Kessler could go up another level a month or two from now. Uh, let's talk about Lamelo Ball real quickly. Um, you know, he, he missed a ton of time to begin the season. Uh, you know, came back in mid-November, missed, you know, played three games, and then immediately got hurt again. Uh, he has now played four games since coming back. In those four games, 26 points, eight assists three rebounds, not doing a ton defensively. That's been a little disappointing. He has only two steals in those four games. Uh, but, you know, the three-pointers have been there. He's taken 11 threes per game. He's making over five a game 
shooting 47%. Uh, so credit to LaMelo Ball, despite missing all this time. Like when he's been out there, he's looked great. 11 threes a game, man. I mean, I, I, I watched a decent amount of Hornets since he came back because to me, they're, he's just, a, he's like a good watch. You know, a lot of times you're just kind of scrolling through games and you're like, oh, the Hornets are on. I get to see some crazy LaMelo stuff. And yeah, he's just launching, launching from three. Um, but 40%, I keep launching if you're, if you're, uh, if that's the case, he's looked good. I mean, this Hornets team is, is a mess. Obviously I, a lot of it's been injuries. They have not gotten a lot of time out of like very good players. Like Kelly Oubre by far leading the team in minutes. Um, a little disappointed by like PJ Washington and guys like that. But, um, I think LaMelo, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced yet. And I don't know if, any, if anyone is, I mean, you, if maybe you are that he is affecting winning. Like, I, I don't I'm know if that he's not, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I, if I have an opinion yet on whether or not LaMelo ball is truly a winning player or if he's a stats guy early returns say he's a stats guy, but this happens a lot, right? People used to say that about Devin Booker. And now all of a sudden Devin Booker is like, you have to have this guy in your team. He's the most winning player of all time. Uh, so we'll see. But again, there's the, the ceiling on this Hornets team is so low that, what you, I mean, to some extent, what do you expect from him? But he's playing really well. If you have him in fantasy, this is great. He might be the greatest open gym player of all time. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is that is in play. We need to discuss that possibility for Lamelo. But no, I, I I think I think the Booker comp is actually really good. Obviously, very different players. But yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of crazy now how how much different Booker's reputation is than even three years ago. Like essentially, once Chris Paul showed up, everything completely changed for Devin Booker. I think he was kind of he was going down that like Monte Ellis type of path or like Joe Johnson yeah. at best. You know, where it's like I, you just can't really win with this guy and all of a sudden now he's coming off of a first team all NBA appearance. Like that did not look like it was a real possibility a few years ago. And, and obviously LaMelo is so early in his career, you know, not in the greatest situation in Charlotte that, um, you know, we're not going to say he's not a winning guy, but no, I, I think, I mean, he's a, he's a stat guy first. I, I think, I don't think that is out of bounds to say that whatsoever. Um, what, while we're in Charlotte here, Kelly Oubre, what is going on here? Last 12 games, 24 <laughs> points per game. Uh, you know, put up 31 the other night, played 38 minutes, even with LaMelo ball back. Uh, so even if he, he shifts to more of a bench role, I mean, I know Terry Rozier has been in and out. Gordon Hayward's obviously bed in and out, but between LaMelo Rozier and Hayward, it feels like one of those guys could be out, you know, at least half of the time. Like, are, are, are you considering selling high on Kelly Oubre if you have him or are you considering acquiring Kelly Oubre? Like it, it feels like he can't really play any better than he has for the last month. It's a little bit confusing because he is sort of between the young core and the veterans who might get sold off at the deadline, right? He's 27, just turned 27. So he's not quite, he's just in between. And there are certain, there are certain parts of Oubre's game that you look at and you're like, this is actually fantastic. He's, he leads the NBA in turnover percentage in terms of turning the ball over the fewest amount of times per possession in the NBA. It's 5.7. Um, for 1.2 turnovers a game. Now, why is that? It's because he never passes. He just touches the ball and he shoots it, right? He's taking 18 shots a game, 1.2 turnovers, 1.2 assists. Um, but his steals have been pretty good as well. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's shown some upside on defense. I I don't, I think I'm holding. If I have Kelly Oubre on my roster, I think I'm just saying, you know what? I, I'm going to hold because there's always a chance that LaMelo coming back 
gives him better looks. And right mm-hmm. now it's his field goal percentage that's killing you. If you're in fantasy, it's 42% from the field. Um, and it's free throw percentage is never good. But I think there are other guys on the roster who will start seeing fewer minutes before Kelly Oubre starts seeing fewer minutes. I feel like we have not uh, adequately addressed the Trey Young situation on this pod sure. this year, Alex. Uh, Trey Young is the 58th ranked player per game uh, in nine category leagues. He's well outside the top 30 in eight cat. If you if you want to just put the turnovers aside, and he was turning it over basically four times a game, so he, he's not helping you there whatsoever. Ten assists per game, that's fantastic. Twenty-seven points per game, that's great. Uh, you know, the three-point production though is way, way down. And it's not because he's taking fewer, uh, because DeJounte Murray's there. He, he is he's down about 0.9 attempts per game from last year, but you know, that'll that that can swing year to year, not that big of a deal. 29% from three is Trey Young this year in 28 games. This this is well beyond just a a rough like seven games to begin the season. I wish I understood more why he just suddenly can't shoot threes. I It's hard for me to – I don't really know what's going on there. He's he's just shooting worse overall. It's not just – it's not just the three-pointers. Like, his, his, free, his free throw percentage is fine, but he's also shooting much worse. For example, like, he actually takes a decent amount of long mid-rangers. Uh, last season, he was 52% on long mid-rangers. He took 240 of them. This year, he's 37% on long mid-rangers, which is pretty bad. And then at the rim this year, he's at 55%, uh, which is down from 59% the year before. So he's down across the board. I'm not really sure what it is. And then we continue to hear reports. You know, he's he's butting heads with the coaching staff. His teammates are taking the side of the coaching staff. And of course, like he's arguably the worst defender in the NBA. So... You know, you got DeJounte Murray to balance that out, but there's only so much balancing that can do. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people start to speculate early. Like, if you listen to podcasts and and read, you know, uh, some of the higher-level guys with, like, real sources talking about maybe Trey Young is quietly on the trade block or they're exploring offers, I guess it's possible. Trade them early, right? That's what Utah did. They traded those guys early before it sort of blew up and mm. they ended up working out. But um, it's a fa- to me, it's really interesting because to me on paper, this team should be fine, but they just are not performing well. Yeah, yeah Trey Young, more like Trade Young. Am I right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's very possible. Can't, can't spell trade without Trey. Uh, no. Yeah, maybe maybe should, they should like team him and Levine up and maybe they'll cancel out and yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of in similar situations. Like we'll just build the worst defensive team of all time, but we'll try to score as many points as we can. It's... I mean, I, I think the part of the thing with Trey Young is, you know, obviously he's not a 29% shooter. Like he is in a slump, that is for sure. But I also think that given his reputation, which stems all the way back from college at Oklahoma, you know, everybody just said like, oh, he's, he's, he's the next Steph Curry. He's a carbon copy. He plays the same way as Steph. He's never been remotely as efficient of a shooter as Steph Curry. Like even, even during his best seasons, you know, like two, I think what, 2020, 21, the year that they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, he was at 34% from three on the year. So like, yes, he was at 38% last year. That was, that was a career high by far, but it's not like he's had four straight years of shooting like 42% from three. And all of a sudden he's down to 29. Like I'm open to the possibility that this is just some variance because he's never been like an ultra elite, ultra efficient three point shooter in the way that his reputation 
would maybe imply that he is. Yeah, because career three-point percentage is 35, which is not that good. I know he takes a lot of, like, long, ill-advised looks, let's say, and I think that drags down his percentage. But he plays a lot more like like our small point guard James Harden than he does Steph Curry. Yeah, 100%. And Harden's, I I think, kind of the same way, where one of those guys that you think, like, oh, he, he never misses a step back. It's like, well, he takes a lot of tough looks. He takes a lot of long threes. I mean, almost all of Trey Young's threes are coming above the break. You know, he's not spotting up, getting these wide open short corner threes, uh, which by the way, he's shooting 28%. He's actually worse on corner threes uh, than he is on, on threes overall. So, you know, that's, that, that's a whole separate issue, but um, it, yeah, Atlanta feels like they're kind of going nowhere. I, I it's, it's weird because on paper, like the, the young Murray combination is actually working out somehow better than I thought it would. Um, and yet Atlanta, it's just kind of spinning its wheels. But I, I think the difference between Atlanta and Chicago is, Atlanta has real options, right? It's like, not only do you have several pretty intriguing young assets, uh, you know, counting AJ Griffin, Jalen Johnson, guys like that. I mean, John Collins, who it feels like this is like year four of him potentially being traded. I mean, Capella has value. Obviously Trey young has value. Um, Like they, they at least are not backed into a corner with guys who are seemingly seeing their value degrade, which is what's going on in Chicago. Well, they just, they just made a, um, they just made a GM move. Didn't they like today? Travis yeah. Schlenk steps down from position as president and transitioning to advisor position. And Landry Fields is now a uh, general manager and will oversee day-to-day operations. Okay. So I think that's sort of a domino. Um, at least that ownership is just sort of unhappy with where it's gone. But your point stands. I agree. Like, this is why I've continued to like Atlanta. Um, I think ever sort of since they formed what is this core is because there is a lot of talent on this team, like veteran talent, young talent. They're very, it feels like they have a ton of options, which what which is what makes it so frustrating because yes, they should be better. Um, but even if they do have to make a hard pivot, I think that, I think they will still come out on the other side better, better than a lot of other teams would just mm-hmm. because of the amount of guys, amount of rotation guys that they have on their team that they can deal or keep or however they want to play it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, mentioning the, the GM change, like to me, that that's the, the mark of an organization that is open to switching things up. Right. I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're kind of making these in-season front office moves, I, I don't think this is a team like you don't, you don't basically do that and say like, all right, now do exactly what the last guy was doing. So I, <laughs> right. I think there is a chance uh, that, that we do end up uh, you know, seeing something fairly dramatic. And look, I, this is, I was talking to Mike Barner on the XM show about this last night. Like, these are the exact reasons that if you're the Lakers and don't mistake, this as me giving credit to the Lakers. I'm not doing that, but <laughs> this is why you don't cash in your chips for buddy healed and miles Turner, because you never know who's going to be available. You have no idea. And I'm not saying that the Lakers have the assets to go get whoever they want, but you know, I mean, we were not talking about the Atlanta Hawks as potential deadline sellers three months ago. We were not talking about the Toronto Raptors potentially making half of their roster available if they continue to free fall. So like you, you, you just never know which teams are going to end up, you know, potentially selling because I think the way the NBA works now, it's like teams just don't like sit on these like same cores year after year after year. If it's not working, I think we're seeing more and more teams kind of willing to pull the plug and shake things up uh, compared to years past where it felt like, you know, there were, there were just more teams that were content kind of being in the middle, biding time, maybe waiting for their chance. Uh, It feels like now it's like, if something's not working, teams are willing to make a change. It does feel that way. So you're saying, so what you're proposing is, Anthony Davis for Trey Young straight up. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that would be good for either team. Uh, <laughs> probably for Atlanta, I guess. I, I mean, could you, could you play like Davis Capella together? 
that would that uh, would somehow lead to like even more of a road back for Anyaka Okungwu. So I, I don't love that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my general point is, you know, you never know who you can get if you're the Lakers. Like things are things are looking up. You know, I I don't think we're gonna have to. Uh, I'm saying we, as in the Lakers, are gonna have to cash <laughs> yes. in Russell Westbrook to to bring in some like C-rate asset. Right. Well, everybody talks about like Kyle Kuzma, right? Kyle Kuzma on the trade block would be great for a guy to add. I mean, DeAndre Hunter, uh, he actually would be. Or great, uh, you know, who needs a three? The Cavaliers. Um, But uh, DeAndre Hunter, DeAndre Hunter to me is like a, if you can't afford Kyle Kuzma, maybe you can pry away uh, Atlanta who may not necessarily want to pay DeAndre Hunter. Honestly, if we're talking about the Cavs specifically, I think Hunter would be a much better fit than Kuzma. Like they don't, they don't really yeah. need what Kuzma brings on offense. I think Hunter would be, I, I think he's kind of like what they hoped Isaac Okoro would be. Uh, yeah, except he, he has real size and he can shoot the three. I agree because yeah, they right. have Lavert, right? They don't need Kuzma and Lavert. That's not necessary. No, Kuzma, I, I think Kuzma is just fine. You know, his his destiny, it felt like it's kind of always been to be like an overqualified primary scorer on a bad team. I, I don't know why he would want out of that. I don't know either. All right. Um, any news that I'm missing before we get out of here? Not off the top of my head, no. I don't think so. Yeah, like I said, we got a big slate Wednesday night, so I'm, I'm sure somebody will get banged up and, and we'll have something to talk about. Uh, you're going to record on Thursday, uh, doing the, the Friday pod a, a day early this week, of course, with the holiday. Uh, we'll have another episode coming out between now and then as well, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but we'll, we'll preview Christmas Day in that next episode. We'll talk some gambling as well look at the futures market as again we near the 40 game mark already in the nba season